Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What with Dan and Julie. Today we have Dylan on, who is a biologist. Hi Dylan, how are you? Hey, how's it going? I'm doing good. Good. Um, so do you want to tell everyone a little bit about what you actually do, Dylan? Right. So, um, well, like you introduced, I'm a biologist. Um, but I guess if we break myself down into different a sub-discipline, I'm an evolutionary biologist who studies reptiles and amphibians. So herpetofauna is the the scientific name for them um and yeah basically what i focus on a lot is more or less middle american species so that is from mexico to panama and i guess the questions i've asked them have varied from looking at how mud turtles are distributed in a river system all the way to my current research that uses the evolutionary history of about 1200 species of reptiles and amphibians to create regions throughout middle america Wow. So were you always interested in biology and, and animals and how they evolved? Yes, but it's been a, it's been a very interesting, I guess it's a bit of an interesting history with me because um, up until I was about 13, I used to be absolutely terrified of everything to do with nature. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, to, 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 a, to a major fault, like I, I couldn't go swimming in lakes because I had watched a program on Animal Planet saying that bull sharks could swim up from the Gulf of Mexico and gnaw my leg off. And, uh, yeah, I was a very, I was a very interested, but gullible, eh, maybe not gullible, but overcautious child. And then, um, but then, yeah, eventually, uh, I guess to add insult to injury, uh, my family owned a pet store, so I, I grew up with animals. Um, and I was terrified of it <laughs> um, until I was, yeah, about, about 13. And then um, things kind of switched for me. And uh, I really don't know what caused the switch, but um, I did a very deep dive and have been well, loving animals since. As I say, that's a very interesting move from not liking animals to going to reptiles, which is even for me, an animal <laughs> lover, I'm terrified of snakes. And, right, you know, absolutely. Yeah, so that's a, that's a mad flip. Yeah, yeah. I always like to say that it's um, it was my 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 desire to know a lot about them that caused my fear, um, because I always knew like you know those those crazy facts of like uh, a tiger can uh, win a tug of war against twenty men or yeah. this this snake bite can kill you in fifteen minutes. So that that's what I latched onto instead of all this other cool stuff with them. <laughs> so what happened to you after thir- after the age of thirteen? What was sort of uh, school like for you and then uh, going into university yeah that's um that's a that's a really good question because i started to around that age is when i started to actually work in that family pet store um so i think that might have been what happened is actually getting to work with the animals and kind of seeing that oh they're not here to just you know bite you at any time uh, 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 side question is it one yeah. of those a family pet store in my eyes is one of the ones mm-hmm. that has like all the exotic animals in not yeah. just your guinea pigs and so you you had a bit of everything going in that pet store yeah yeah we had we had a bit of everything um i guess i guess to complete the full picture it's tied to my grandfather's parent company who makes uh, custom aquariums so we okay. would have you know like it was very interesting growing up because 200 gallon aquariums were kind of like my 10 gallon i guess would be the way i always could play around with these massive enclosures uh, but yeah, it was it was a family-run pet store with a lot of exotics. Um, I started, I managed the reptile and amphibian section, and I think at um, I think at the, at the peak we would have over two hundred animals in stock at any time of uh, wow. just lizards, snakes, frogs, yeah. you name it. But yeah, uh, the ed- the education side of that, um, you know, I, I did high school or grades, whatever that is, nine to twelve. 
Um, I ultimately though, I ultimately dropped out my junior year so that I could work more and um, essentially did homeschooling to, you know, get my degree and all that fun stuff. Um, but yeah, then after that, I went to university at Texas A&M University in Texas. <laughs> yeah. And how did you, how did you find it at school? Did you tailor it towards maybe going into biology? Uh, I wish, I wish I could say that's why I did it. I, um, <laughs> I, I totally followed my high school girlfriend. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, at least you're honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, it was actually, I guess the best, um, the best thing I could have done because that school offered so many opportunities for me and I ultimately got a degree in wildlife and fishery sciences. Oh, wow. That's the title. Yeah. <laughs> and what, what sort of things did you study at university? Right. So it was always, um, yeah, so it was always catered towards reptiles and amphibians, you know, so in terms of like the classes I took, you take herpetology, which was just the study of them. And you you'd go out looking for frogs and snakes on the weekends and, you know, come back for the lectures and, you know, learn about the phylogenetic relationships or the ecology of crocodiles one week or, you know, whatever. Um, but ultimately all the, all the classes that I took were really focused on learning how to do research in the field, whether that okay. be, yeah, it's, you know, going out and collecting the data or it's analyzing the data and using models to make big inferences about what's going on in a system. So it was, um, it was pretty diverse, but I think a lot of the work, a lot of what I did in my undergrad that where I learned how to do field biology was really going out and getting involved in doing research. So you're, you're in your master's now. You've gone back mm -hmm. to, to do your master's. Uh, right. And what are you specializing in now? Right. So um, I guess throughout my whole undergraduate career, I was focused on ecology research. So just kind of going out and find it's, it. I guess ecology research is what you think of when you think of a field biologist. They're going mm -hmm. out and learning how species are distributed or, you know, where, um, where the boundaries for one species are, some, something like that. Um, but now what I focus on, I'm like, like you mentioned, I'm in my master's program at San Diego State University in California. And um, what I'm focusing now is evolutionary biology. So that is instead of looking at, um, I guess ecology is sort of the, I always like to say it's like the, the, the cover of the book. It's what you see now, but evolution is the whole story leading up to that moment in time. Um, so that's ultimately what I'm looking at now. Um, yeah, more evolutionary theory instead of ecology. I have to say, I'm I'm fascinated by evolution. It blows my mind when you you know when you watch wildlife documentaries and you see the sheer variety and and the specialization of of animals across the wildlife kingdoms. It is amazing what's happened. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's 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 that exact variety that I really like to focus on, and I really want to understand what factors cause that variety that we see today. I mean, I mean, I mean, we've all studied at school, right? You know, in, in biology and uh, to a to a less, much lesser extent than you have. But it, it blew my mind that it was just a mutation that happened in one, you know, one or two creatures that then they were better and they could make more, and that's how evolution happens. And uh, you studying it in depth, what kind of things are you are you sort of looking for? And also, what blows what blows you away when you when you look and find some of these things? Oh man, those are both really good questions. So, um, I mean, ultimately, no matter how deep into the theory you go and you know how many textbooks you read, evolution is almost always influenced by four main factors, and that's mutation. Um, oof, it's still recording. Mutation, uh, gene flow, 
drift, which is just kind of like random elements, and uh, selection. So I, I think I think everyone in kind of knows mutation and understands selection. Um, but the gene flow and drift stuff is extremely fascinating. It's just, you know, how do species interact with each other and what random events can cause, you know, increased diversity. So what is gene flow? Sorry, I'm, I'm interested in that. What's, what is that? Right, right. Um, so, I mean, the, the, the classical example of gene flow would be you have two populations um, and gene flow is the measure of connectivity between them. So how many individuals from either population are sort of, you know, intermingling with the other population and mm -hmm. breeding and creating offspring, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's kind of the very basic um, definition of gene flow. Wow. Very that's, cool. Yeah. Um, so you obviously uh, talk, spoke a lot about you being out in the field. So what's sort of like the average day for you being out in the field, obviously observing and finding some of these creatures? Right. Um, so a lot of my field work was focused in Belize and I, I guess an, an average day there was waking up very, very early um, there was multiple projects going on, so it was always a, a balancing act of what to do. Um, most of the time, we would go out early and we'd go either track turtles. Um, so we have this big radio uh, antenna, and we have turtles throughout the whole property that have little uh, radio tags on them. And it's sort of like a metal detector for turtles. Um, you kind of point it, it makes a louder <laughs> beep if you get closer to it. Uh, so yeah, we usually try and find, we try to find all 10, 10 to 12 turtles. Um, twice a week. So a lot of our time was focused on that, but it would also be going out doing transect surveys where we just walk around and try to find stuff. Um, it's, it, it really isn't, there really isn't a typical day. It's, it's more or less you go out and you do research, you come back for breakfast, you go out again, <laughs> you do research, um, have lunch, then it's too hot. So you do nothing for, <laughs> for most of the day. Um, you either just go swimming or you sit in a hammock or you try to do some computer work or something. And then at nighttime, um, you're usually going out again to do a night transect or you're going out to miss net for bats or it, there, there's always something going on. Wow. Sounds awesome. It sounds like a job I'd, I'd like. Just want to it's jump so in there fun. quickly. What, um, you obviously spoke about uh, doing some computer work. What sort of stuff is it you're, you're logging? And um, like, uh, is that something you enjoy, part of this, this career? Yeah, I'm a, uh, it's very interesting because the computer side of things, oh, there, there's a saying, it's for every hour in the field, you're going to have three hours in front of a computer. <laughs> um, because it's, it's either, you're either writing something up, like you're writing up a publication or you're writing up a grant or something like, like that, or you are doing the actual analysis, which takes up a lot of time. And uh, I definitely enjoy it it's actually very influenced, it's, it's really influenced my current work because my, my current work, and this was very strategic and I love and hate it, um, has no field work. It's entirely computer-based. Um, and that was strategic because I want to apply, I had, like I mentioned, nothing but ecology background, but I wanted to ask evolutionary questions. So instead of doing a field ecology research with an evolutionary spin, I instead decided to dive very, very deep into evolutionary theory and methods, which require a lot of computer work to really do. Um, so hopefully I can apply that to more field-based projects in the future. That's really interesting because we had a uh, zoologist on uh, a few weeks ago and she was talking very similarly about um, analytics and, and that side of what she does. Uh, and she said it was a not a shock, but 
she didn't realize how much of that would go into it uh, and that she now uses that to inform you know conservation projects which is which is very cool yeah absolutely it's it's interesting because we live in this age of you know massive data sets you can get I mean, for, for example, one occurrence data set that I use that just tells us where species are found, whether it's by um, community scientists, people just out there taking pictures or through museums or other studies. Um, one of the data sets that I downloaded had 2.1 million rows. So 2.1 million occurrence oh my records. God. Right, right. And, and the challenge is how do you use that much data? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so just to backtrack a little bit off a bit of off one of Jules's questions, um, what's something that's really sort of blown your mind in uh, evolutionary biology? Something that you've looked at and gone, oh my God, how has that happened? Right. So it's, it's always, I guess, I guess the best example for me, because it's the one that I always go back to, it's, it's, it's the stories that evolution tells. Um, and my favorite example is that with uh, Belitoglossid salamanders. So Belitoglossa is a genus of salamanders through Central and South America. Mm -hmm. And they, they're just absolutely incredible. So one, they're lungless, so they don't have any lungs. They just respire through their skin, wow. um, which is already just cool as it yeah. is. Um, and, you know, and they have this like extreme, um, it's a hyobranchial apparatus and it basically allows them to like projectile shoot their tongue. Um, kind of like, uh, not, not in the same way a chameleon does, but in that same vein of like they're shooting out their tongue pretty far. Um, but in terms of the story they tell, it's, it's I, I believe they were on the West Coast side of North America, but I could be wrong about that. But anyways, they, they went into, they started expanding the range southwards and they got into Central America where it was warmer and it was a little bit more, it was more humid. So the humidity let them really explore the area without fear of drying out because they're amphibians. So they, um, it, it's very easy for them to dry out. But that heat is what made, did something absolutely incredible. They, they started to develop faster when they were young. Um, so reptiles and amphibians, they take in heat from their outside surroundings. And if you give them more heat, it's kind of like if you jumpstarted jump our metabolism. So they started growing a little bit quicker and ultimately they would become adults, whatever, you know, constitutes adult um, earlier and their feet. That's the incredible part. So when most animals develop their feet originally have, um, they're originally webbed, you know, they're still, uh, they're still webbing between fingers and occasionally even humans are born with webbed hands or feet, but the salamanders, they never really, formed their digits and never really formed toes and fingers because they hadn't developed long enough. So they have these kind of like blobby, webby looking feet. And because of that, normally that would be a, you know, a bad thing, like you're coming out not fully formed. Mm. But in this case, it actually acted as suction cups. So they're, they're kind of like, it's kind of like a Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible scaling oh, wow. building with these like, you know, underdeveloped feet, allowing them to climb up trees and Ultimately, they exploited a niche that hadn't been found, allowing them to very, very rapidly speciate throughout Central and South America and have, oh gosh, I think it's 130 some odd species now. They're the largest genus of salamanders. Uh, I love today, stuff I like that. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. Right. So yeah, um, it's, it's stories like that that got me into you know, evolution. And being an evolutionary biologist, um, do you have to look a bit back towards the past to see how some of these things have happened? Do you have to look at fossils at all or, or is that too far back for you? 
normally you would use fossils. Um, a lot of the times herpetol uh, reptiles and amphibians don't really fossilize well. Um, that's partially because of where they're at. Um, humid environments kind of break it down a bit faster, but also amphibians just don't fossilize very well. But um, they, we do use fossils whenever we're creating phylogenetic trees. So looking at how species are related to one another, um, you can use a fossil as sort of this uh, point in the data set that says, okay, at time 50 million years ago, we knew this species was here or this ancestral species was here. So it allows you to inform I guess, when species became species or when groups became groups. I was uh, actually watching a documentary on, on the TV the other day, um, and it was talking about the evolution of, of mankind. And that at one point on Earth, there were something like four or five different species of human uh, walking around at the same time. That, that kind of blows my mind. Do you ever look into other things outside of your area of interest? Yeah, all, all the time. It's, it's always something different that I'm looking at. Um, I was kind of looking at some population genetic studies of birds recently just because it looked very interesting. Or, um, oh gosh, there was something big. I was looking at the worldwide insect distribution or something of that nature, but I, I can't actually remember what they were actually analyzing. <laughs> <laughs> so what would be a, a personality trait or personality traits that you see in yourself and others in the career and field around you uh, that you think help help make you thrive? Yeah, I, uh, that, that's a good one. So normally what I say is, if, especially if you're wanting to do field biology and going out to places and doing stuff, you need to be uh, extraordinarily flexible in living arrangements, day-to-day um, -day activities. Uh, because I've, you know, I've lived in some like really rough conditions. I've, you know, uh, I've hammock slept um, before just because there was no beds available. I think a few times I've slept on the floor just to, you know, have space. And it's also, you know, it's, it, it's hard to say, oh, I'm going to not pay my, or, well, you're going to pay your rent, but you're going to like um, not pay rent for six months and go and live somewhere else, completely a different country in this weird field station that doesn't have Wi-Fi signal. Um, so it, it requires a lot of flexibility to kind of, you know, leave that comfort of having a nine to five job or just being a student. But um, having that flexibility really allows you to do some incredible things. It allows you to travel the world for cheap and or free um, and get to see some amazing things. So it's 100% it's worth it. You just have to you know, be willing to kind of give up a lot, I think. And what kind of, what's, are some of the biggest positives or opportunities you either had or you can see having in the future from the industry? Right. So, I mean, if I just go chronologically, my, my first um, spring break as a university student, I, w I went to Panama for 10 days to help a professor collect uh, parasites from... That's the, not the average the... spring break, is it? Right. No, no. It's, it's, not, it's not beaches in Cancun. It's, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's this random place in the middle of, uh, middle of the jungle. Um, but I got to go, basically, as long as I paid for my flight, everything else was covered. Um, so it's, you know very cheap to go and do it that way. How did you find an opportunity like that? Um, so that one, I walked up um, my very first semester when I was there. I knew I wanted to get involved, knew I wanted to do research. And I basically went to, a, um, to the A&M Zoological Society meeting. I walked up to their advisor and said, hi, my name is Dylan. I'm really interested in getting involved in research. Uh, at the time, I, I was very, very, very lucky that the person whom I asked 
was actually the director of undergraduate research at the time as well. So it was like a perfect, you know, mix. And yeah. he pointed me towards someone who I started working for. And then, you know, I guess six months later or so, he invited me on a trip to go down to Panama. But um, I don't know. I, I think that just, just saying very directly that you want to get involved and just asking someone instead of waiting for the, the right opportunity to ask um, definitely just opens up so many doors. Yeah, you got to go out there and, and get it, basically. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And any other opportunities you, you've had so far? Yeah, yeah. So in terms of, um, so the study abroad stuff was always fantastic. Um, there's also almost every university in the country or anywhere really has uh, funding opportunities. However, they're usually very difficult to find, um, which is both good and bad. If you do find it, that means there's not that much competition. Um, so there, you know, so th- there was one I applied for that um, basically they would give you a thousand dollars to do research as an undergraduate, and then four thousand dollars to do an internship if you're choosing. Um, and that one basically it was if you applied you got it because there just wasn't competition. Um, so for that one it allowed me to do an undergraduate research project, which um, we're actually should be getting published somewhat soon, and then do an internship where I got to stay at a research station for about three months over the summer. Wow. Yeah. And what would be some of the uh, less favorable um, aspects that you've, you've had to deal with apart from the sleeping in hammocks? Um. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's you, you do get a different threshold for what is gross and what is, <laughs> um, what is like, what sucks, I guess. So, I mean, I've had, you know, I've had parasites quite a few times now, both intestinal as well as bot flies, the ones that lay like larvae inside of your skin and they, Oh kind my of, word. Yeah, I had I had two of them last field thing. They actually, I actually got them through customs, um, and I named <laughs> them. That's because uh, we 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 you know got them out. Um, but yeah, they're named Tick and Tack because they're little white <laughs> parasite things. Um, so it's you know you get that you, you you get you get very used to having to do you know very long hikes with very little food. But then you you know you get back and you eat like three thousand calories in a single sitting. um so it's yeah it's it's a lot of hard very manual labor a lot of the time but it's 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 so worth it like you you don't even really think about it until you look back and you're like oh i guess that did kind of suck but yeah you have a very different tolerance for the suck i guess you know what like (laughs) what is terrible what is awful I guess with your biology degree, you can go into numerous different fields and, uh, and certain areas, but we like to ask a, a few questions just around sort of salary expectations in the industries um, and doing a bit of research into biology and where the degree can take you. Um, for example, a research position, you're looking at between uh, 20,000 to about 30,000 pounds. So I don't know what that was around i guess 40 in america um so does that sort of sit right with you do those figures sound right for somebody and with that kind of degree yeah absolutely um i always biology degrees are one they don't they don't pay an enormous amount by any means um and oftentimes that it's tricky because that that number is not always what you get in your bank account i guess it's um because sometimes that 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 number is also factoring in the fact that they're housing you and they're feeding yeah, you yeah of course yeah because I, i've known people who do it and they're you know they're not paying rent they're not paying for food yeah food and they and make, yeah right but they get maybe 150 dollars a week um you know just money so it's it's um I, I always say it's not a field that you get into for the money but the experiences it gives you are just bar none they are absolutely incredible 
Absolutely. And if, if you and if you do pursue it long term, you'll eventually end up in a government job, a consulting job, or in, as an academic, and those typically pay quite a bit better. I was going to say, I'd imagine the dream sort of uh, situation for somebody with with your kind of degree would be to be a consultant on one of the big, you know, animal documentaries or, or something of that nature. Right, right. That that would be what I'd love to do. I'm, I mean. Gosh, yeah, because I, I love creating content almost as much as I love studying the animals. So it's a uh, yeah. Your Instagram's wicked. We'll uh, we'll be sure to tag that when we put this up. But it's uh, it's it's great if you're into animals or reptiles, check it out. Yeah, it's um. So yeah, I mean that that would be a perfect thing. Ultimately, the path I'm on is going towards academia, becoming a professor. So it's still, you know, after this degree, it's still another five six years of school, and then you know, yeah. hopefully teaching and whatnot. Oh, brilliant. Um, yeah, but I'm always, you know, I'm also very flexible <laughs> to like, hey, yeah, <laughs> let's, let's go to a different opportunity. Who knows? So what would be something that's not in the job description uh, that you have to deal with? Obviously, you've already spoken about the ticks um, and parasites and things. Um, a- anything else? Yeah, there's a, um, in, in most, most, yeah, I, I, w- I would say most studies, um, there, there's an element of cooperating with the public that isn't really advertised. I mean, so my, I have a, I have a colleague, for example, she studies hummingbirds. So she needs to go out and catch them and, you know, get, get samples from them. Um, so her, she has been absolutely struggling with either contacting private residents to trap hummingbirds in their backyard or with talking with local government. So anyone who runs the park services or um, we were actually, I was actually helping her trap in a botanical garden very recently. Um, so it's, it's, it's operating with all these different people and trying to make all these different connections to actually get things done. You know, it's there, there's so much required emailing and calling and, um, working with so many different groups just for a single project. Yeah. I think that's something that isn't really stressed. I think that when you go into biology, you think, oh, I'm going to go out, I'm going to look for animals, maybe take some photos and then analyze and research it. But it's, there's so much that goes into doing all of that. That's going back to the conversation we had with our zoologist. um, She actually said a very similar thing. And she said that her following on social media has actually helped in that department because, you know, charities or or people or reserves will see the following and be a bit more open to talking and and helping do stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And then anywhere that I've worked with before, I always love to make content for them. It's sort of, I guess, for us type of deal. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, everyone loves to see that, you know, Hey, such and such at this garden, um, was trapping animals or whatever here's some video here's what they were doing like it's it's just a win-win for everyone Mm. and how does somebody begin to progress within the field of biology um you know you've you've done your social media content but how are you looking to progress uh professionally right right so in terms of professionally i've been really kind of i guess taking a step back and looking at the research that i want to do and I mean, for, for me, my research, I need to have, I guess, just a couple key tenants is that it has to be very fun for me to do. Um, I have to love doing it every day. Or yeah. Maybe not every day, but I have to love what I'm doing. I have to love what I'm researching or else it's going to be difficult to finish it. But also I want to do research that has a larger impact both on other academics and other scientists, as well as the public. So in terms of like future goals, it is going into a PhD program that really fits those criteria very, very well for me and will allow me to, uh, for example, make really 
high depth, um, high definition range maps and species occurrence polygons for um, a large number of species so that other people can also use this research that I'm making and utilize it for their own studies. So kind of this whole, uh, we're all in the same boat, let's, let's make science together. So yeah. that, that's really what I'm pushing for uh, professionally is doing more work like that. Uh, um, would you still go into this industry knowing everything you know now? Oh, absolutely. I would have, I would have started much earlier. <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Dylan. Uh, really enjoyed chatting to you. It's been fascinating. Um, yeah, thank you for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. This was fun. Thank you. Where can people find you on social media? Right. So you can find me on Instagram, YouTube, and Mammals, which is another social media app. But um, all of them are underneath the tag Dylan the Biologist. That's D-I-L-L-O-N, the Biologist. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dylan. Thank you so much and good luck. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, bye-bye. Bye.